Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chronic Pain and Paranoia. It's us. We're back. It feels like it's been a while, but yeah. it hasn't been. No. Not for you guys. For us, no. it has been. For us, bit. it's been a week. Not a week. Two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Two weeks is a long time. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, the theme for this week's episode is flight. So, very excited about that. We'll see what we cooked up for you guys this time. Uh-huh. Um, Emily, how are you feeling today? Today, I feel like the bird that flew itself into my window and died. <laughs> that definitely <laughs> happened. I think it was this week or late last week. It flew into our kitchen window. Mm. And there were feathers all over oh, our front yard. sad. I just feel like a tired, dead bird. I feel that. That. Poor birdie. Okay. Yes, very sad birdie. Yeah, I just, I feel bad for them. They don't know what's happening. They're just too dumb. How do you feel, Emily? Um, this week's been a rough one uh-huh. for sure. Um, this is the most I have moved in like two days. So, you know, in the third Thor, when his sister comes about. Oh, yes. I was like, which one's... <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she just, like, has an endless supply of, like, knives and swords that she can, like, shoot out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Feels like what she did to my tummy. Ugh. Just endless. Just board. always coming yeah, at you. just ya. going. Yeah. I'm a pin cushion. Like pinhead. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's what I feel like at the moment. Rough. Yeah. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> no. We're just passing away really tired. If we're low energy this week and next week, that's why. Yeah. We'll try to keep it up, though. I promise. Woo! It'll get better when we actually start talking. Definitely. For sure. Okay. Let's get into this disclaimer. This podcast contains sensitive material such as violence, murder, paranormal activity, and other adult topics, so listener discretion is advised. While we do research all of our episodes, we are just two Emilys with a microphone and a passion for all things spooky. Take it with a grain of salt. All of our sources will be in the show notes. All right, Emily. So you for sure know this case. And so does everyone else. Woo! But, like, it's just one of those cases that I had to do for flight. Uh-huh. I had to. And it makes me giggle. It's kind of... I, like, I know it's not funny, but, like, it is, though. It, it can be. You know? I get it. I get it. Okay. So, we're just gonna jump right into it, and everyone can, get, can guess who we're talking about. Okay. 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 On November 24th, 1971, a man known as D.B. Cooper hijacked a plane (laughs) headed from Portland to Seattle, collected an enormous ransom, and then simply vanished into the thin air. Good old (laughs) D.B. Cooper. I told you it's a funny case. (laughs) Well, and I saw it on our sources page, but I totally forgot about it. I was like, what are you doing? Oh, man, I love D.B. Cooper. I had to. You have to. I had to do it to him. Yep. Uh, five years ago, I don't know when this was written, peace and love, a mystery man, oh, well, a long time ago, since I was in 71, not five years ago, a mystery man known as Dan Cooper, aka D.B. Cooper, pulled off one of the most jaw-dropping heists in recorded history. 
Over the course of a few hours on November 24, 1971, he hijacked a plane, stole 200K, and then escaped via parachute, never to be seen again. 200K is a lot of money. And the fact that he was just like, all like, right, I'm dipping. Cash? Yeah, with that on him. Like, huh? Put in his savings account, my guy. I still wonder to this day. I know we're going to get into it, yeah. but how? We'll talk about it. Yeah. It all happened aboard a Boeing a 727 North uh, Orient Flight 305 from Portland to Seattle. It was supposed to be a quick, straightforward trip, and D.B. Cooper initially looked like a regular business traveler, but it soon became clear that he was not the case. To this day, investigators are stumped as to who D.B. Cooper was, how he executed the heist, and how he made his escape. Although they had a clear physical description of the man and a DNA sample, many crucial questions remain unanswered. Where is D.B. Cooper? Who is D.B. Cooper? And did he even survive the fall? On November 24th, 1971, a man who called himself Dan Cooper bought a one-way plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He boarded the Northwest Orient uh, Airlines Flight 305 and settled into seat 18C. This trip normally took about 30 minutes, and nothing suggested that the flight would be anything but typical. At first, Dan Cooper seemed like any normal passenger. His black tie and white shirt suggested that he was a business traveler, an impression reinforced by his briefcase. Like many airline passengers of the area, Cooper quickly lit a cigarette and ordered a drink, bourbon and soda, which he drank quietly as the plane took off. His appearance was unremarkable, and his FBI file, file later reflected that. White male, 6 foot 1, uh, 170 to 175 pounds, age mid-40s. Olive complex- complexion, um, brown eyes, black hair, conventional cut, parted on the left. But then Cooper flagged down a stewardess, the old term for a flight attendant. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yes. Named Florence Schaffner. He handed her a piece of paper. Schaffner was used to businessmen flirting with her, so she assumed it was a note. Uh, the note was just a phone number and slipped it into her pocket. Cooper leaned forward. Miss, he said, you better look at that note. I have a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) That defeats the point of the note. Literally. Schaffner opened the note. A chilling statement was written in felt pen in all capital letters. I... (laughs) Not all caps. Hmm. I have a bomb in my briefcase. I want you to sit next to me. Schaffner... Uh, sank into the seat next to Cooper and asked to see the bomb. Calmly, Cooper opened the briefcase. Inside, the stewardess could see a tangle of wires, a battery, and red-colored sticks that looked like dynamite. (laughs) Nice. Dynamite's really funny to me. Especially red sticks. It's like an old cartoony version. Exactly. This whole thing is, like, cartoonish. Yeah. I know it's, like, serious, but... It was really, like... Probably scary for the stewardess, for but, sure. like, come on. Also, I don't think I would ask to see it. No. I'd be like, okay, great. Yeah. Someone's going to know something's up when I don't go back to the Literally. front of the plane or whatever. I want 200K by 5 p.m., Cooper said calmly, in cash, put in a knapsack. I want two back parachutes and two front parachutes. 
When we land, I want a fuel truck ready to refuel. No funny stuff or I'll do the job. Again. It's a very cartoony thing to say. Oh my goodness. No funny stuff. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Uh, Shafter went to tell the pilot. Meanwhile, the other passengers remained oblivious to the danger that was brewing in C-18C. Bill Mitchell, a University of Oregon sophomore, was sitting across the aisle from Cooper. He recalled that the pilot announced something about engine trouble. They, they would have to circle for a bit, letting off some fuel. The pilot invited passengers to move toward the front of the plane, but Mitchell stayed in his seat, completely unaware of the situation that was unfolding. He later confessed he actually felt jealous that the stewardess was giving Cooper so much attention. Ooh. I know. My ego got in the way of this, Mitchell said in 2019, and uh, it sort of bugged me that this flight attendant was talking with this older guy with a suit and smoking, and here you had a University of Oregon sophomore sitting right across the aisle, and she wouldn't make any con- eye contact or anything. Okay, and that's why she avoided okay, what? you. what? <laughs> like, she's just doing her job. Also, he's a bomb. Can we calm down? Dude. Gross. I don't, I don't like men. No. I don't really like them very much What's with the audacity? <sighs> Who knows? Like, even if he didn't have a bomb, like, what if he had, like, a special medical thing going on or, like... Also, like, why does it matter? Uh, yeah. Mind your business. Keep your head She's down. She's literally, wa- like, working. Also, you're on a flight. You should, like, be reading a book or sleeping. It's a 30-minute flight. It's, like, yeah. dude... You couldn't keep yourself entertained. Also, like, that's part of the rules of flying. Like, mind your business. That's it. <laughs> you stick to your seat and, and call it good. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell may have been unaware of the man's sinister plan, but he was able to describe his appearance after the flight. Once the FBI launched their investigation, Mitchell and the flight attendants helped with the sketch of the suspect. No other passengers had gotten a good look. As the plane circled in the air for about two hours, officials on the ground scrambled to satisfy D.B. Cooper's demands. The plane landed in Seattle at 5.39 p.m. Oh my god. (laughs) Sorry. Around that time, the airline staff approached Cooper with the money and the parachutes. The first two parachutes were provided by McCord Air Force Base, After receiving them, Cooper demanded two more. Perhaps the first pair of chutes wouldn't have worked for his mission. They were military grade and the chutes would open after a 200 foot fall. But the second of the pair of chutes were sports parachutes brought from a nearby skydiving field. These would allow someone to free fall for several thousand feet before the parachute opened. At this point, the hijacker released the 36 passengers. He also let two crew, crew members go, including Florence Schaffner. Then D.B. Cooper told the pilot he wanted to fly to Mexico City, but the plane did not have the range to fly 2,200 miles to its destination, so Cooper agreed with the pilot to make a refueling stop in Reno along the way. Before they took off, he laid out specific demands for the flight. They must fly below 10,000 feet, with the wing flaps at 15 degrees, and keep the speed lower, slower than 200 knots, and the rear door was to remain open. As the plane rose into the sky around 7.40 p.m., 
Several Air Force jets followed at a stealthy distance. Cooper set the uh, the crew to the cockpit as it became deeply cold inside the plane. The four crew members on board later claimed that the temperature dropped to below zero. Ugh. Then at 8 p.m., a warning light flashed in the cockpit, notifying them that the rear air stalls had been uh, air stairs had been lowered. About 15 minutes later, the crew noticed a sudden upward motion from the back of the plane. They remained huddled together, freezing for nearly two hours. Upon landing in Reno around 10.15 p.m., the plane was immediately surrounded by local police and the FBI. They entered the plane and searched it from nose to tail, but there was no sign of D.B. Cooper or the stolen money. Authorities were convinced that the hijacker could not have exited the plane on the ground without anyone seeing him. D.B. Cooper had left behind two of the parachutes, his black clip-on tie, and a head-scratching mystery. Not a clip-on tie. A clip-on? I know. He was in a hurry. He just, like, everything seems, like, so, like, cartoon villain, and it's really funny. He really is a cartoon villain. Good for him, though. (laughs) Everyone needs their thing. I guess. Uh, D.B. Cooper had vanished into thin air. Literally. The authorities were astonished, especially since none of the fighter jets following the plane had seen him leave the aircraft. But the FBI felt confident that they could track Cooper down. After all, they had a name, a physical description, and several specific details about the man. But in reality, they had much less information than they thought they had. For starters, they quickly learned that uh, Dan Cooper was not his real name. Uh, Adding to the confusion, the media reported that the hijacker's name was D.B. Cooper and it stuck. Undeterred, the FBI took on the mystery with enthusiasm. The NORJAC investigation, short for Northwest Hijacking, was soon afoot and tips came pouring in. Ralph uh, Heimsbach? The FBI's lead agent for this case recalled that they had a long list of possible suspects. Real, real good ones, real, real poor ones, a lot of both, and many in between, he said. Five years later, the FBI seemed to have hit a dead end. By that point, they had looked into more than 800 suspects. Holy cow. Of these, only two dozen were worth considering as a true perpetrator. By 2011, the... FBI's file on the case measured more than 400, well, 40 feet long. Oh, that's funny. 40 feet long. Who measured that? Why? I would start getting curious. To a certain that's point, fair. I'd be like, okay. We Some have to intern check. was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly it what it was. Like, huh? And there was still no clear answer. All the while, D.B. Cooper's uh, feet spread like wildfire in popular culture inspired songs, movies, books, and even the character of Dale Cooper on the television show Twin Peaks. A few prominent suspects emerged over the years, but none were charged. Five months after D.B. Cooper disappeared into the darkness, a man named Richard McCoy left from a plane over Utah with 500k in ransom money. McCoy was caught and sentenced to 45 years in prison, uh, while he was originally deemed a Norjack suspect, he was ruled out because he didn't match the physical descriptions provided by the witnesses. 
Another prominent suspect was Robert Rackstraw, a former Special Forces paratrooper. Rackstraw certainly had the skill set to survive a leap from a plane in the dark. The FBI officially cleared him as a suspect in 1979, but some remain skeptical of his innocence to his day. To this day. Filmmaker Thomas uh, Colbert, who has independently investigated the case, believes that there is evidence linking Rackstraw to the crime, and it lies in a few letters that were allegedly written by Cooper shortly after the hijacking. Colbert also believes that the FBI is stonewalling and covering up Rackstraw's tracks due to his possible ties to the CIA. Uh, So personally, I kind of think it. It's plausible it's that possible. it was him. Because you can, you can erase tracks. For CIA, sure. like you're In out of the there. In the 70s too? Yeah. Are you kidding? Like you're out of there. Exactly. One eraser swipe and you're, you're out of the book. Literally done. Literally they could just like set his file on fire and that'd be it. Yeah. <laughs> However, uh, Jeffrey Gray whose book Skyjack is considered one of the best on D.B. Cooper, disagrees. He claims that Rockstraw was not a serious suspect and does not even include him in his book. In 1980, a eight-year-old boy on a camping trip near Portland made a thrilling discovery by the Columbia River, bunches of ragged dollar bills totaling in $5,880. This serial numbers matched the ransom money given to D.B. Cooper nine years earlier. To this day, this remains the sole verifiable piece of evidence linked to the case that was found outside of the plane. Wow. Interesting, right? Yeah. I've seen pictures of them, too. It definitely, like, makes you wonder if he survived. Huh. Because they're all, like, there's, like, holes in them and stuff. Probably not. Yeah. I... I like to think that he did, but... But if he was former CIA, if... Mm-hmm. He was former CIA. That could have been like a trick to yeah. be like, "Look, I died. Look, only like, five thousand like of the two hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah." And like, I think he's smart enough to do something like that. Yeah. Decades later, uh, there were claims that pieces of one of the parachutes have been found, but it's unclear whether those were uh, ever officially verified. In 2001, the FBI lifted a DNA sample off of Cooper's tie and used it to eliminate yet another suspect, Dwayne Weber, who had claimed to be D.B. Cooper on his deathbed. Years later, another man named Keith Christensen was named in a magazine article as a potential Cooper, but he didn't match the physical description even though he was a skilled paratrooper. A Seattle case agent named Larry Carr later said that D.B. Cooper was likely not a skilled skydiver. We originally thought Cooper was an experienced jumper, perhaps even a paratrooper, Carr said in 2007. We concluded after a few years that this was simply not true. No experienced parachutist would have jumped into a pitch black night in the rain with a 200 mile wind in his face wearing loafers and a trench coat. It was simply too risky. Yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. In 2016, the FBI announced that it would stop actively pursuing the case. That's kind of crazy. That's insane. Following one of the longest and most exhaustive investigations in our history, the FBI said in a press release 
On July 8, 2016, the FBI redirected resources allocated to the D.B. Cooper case in order to focus on investigating priorities. But even though the case is no longer active, the FBI encourages anyone with specific physical evidence like more of the money or pieces of parachute to contact their local field office. Meanwhile, amateur sleuths and independent investigators are still poring over the case, often called Cooperites. Oh my gosh, that's the dumbest name I've it, ever heard. <laughs> uh, they study all the information that they can get their hands on and even host CooperCons to discuss what? the mystery and, and, ex- and explore potential theories. <laughs> like Comic-Con. Yeah, like, huh? It's really weird. I guess. It's not that deep. No, it's not that deep. Like, move on, also, everyone. Also, like, he didn't kill anybody. No, well, but he did threaten the lives of a, a lot heist. of people. Yeah. Of course, it's very possible that D.B. Cooper simply did not survive his jump and took all his secrets to the, with him to the grave. The world may never know for sure, especially since the case is no longer active. Even if the case is solved someday, perhaps the end result will be far more anticlimactic than one would expect. Maybe, Carr notes, it'll say to simply take someone who just remembers that odd uncle. That odd uncle. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, that's probably what it'll be. Yeah. I, the reason why I think this is a silly, goofy case is because no one was really hurt. No. Like, it, it was and probably... And I'm really glad. Yeah. Also... I think a huge reason of why it's not solved and why it happened in the first place is because it was pre-9-11. Yeah. It, it if would this not happen post-9-11, it couldn't either have. it couldn't have happened or it, like, it would have been cracked down so quickly. Yeah. Because DNA and everything and... Yeah, and, like... Cameras. TSA, all of that, like, how seriously we take crimes on planes now and like all that can't you can't even take a water bottle like literally so yeah anyway i do it's a silly goofy case it is a silly goofy case i still think that guy connected to the cia yeah possible definitely i think because even if like he was a skilled paratrooper i feel like you have to be a little silly in the head to do something like this well, yeah, it's, like, like it's in dark, general. it's raining. How fast do you have to, like... So, if he's already silly in the head to, like, come up with this little heist... Yeah. He's probably a little silly in the head to, like, make that jump. Yeah. You know? You have to make that jump, yeah. Yeah. I think he probably died, honestly. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. Because, like, the fighter jets or whatever, they didn't see anything, and I feel like it's kind of hard to miss a giant parachute. For sure. And, like... You know, maybe he was sucked out at yeah. one point because he told them to leave the back door open. So maybe, like, he literally just, like, shoop. The air pressure's wild. Yeah. yeah. So you never know. It's a funny case. Peace and love. Good times. <laughs> I hope I hope he had a good time. Oh, my. I hope that he's alive don't, somewhere. Don't commit heists. Just get a, a side hustle. <laughs> Honestly, get a hobby. Come on. Come on, guys. Oh, That's good all times. I have. That's good times. <laughs> okay, Emily. So I'm going to tell you about flight 401. It may or may not sound familiar. It definitely does. Okay. So I'm just going to 
hop right into it. Captain Robert Albin Bob Loft was in command of the flight. He was 55 years old with 32 years of experience working for Eastern Airlines. Captain Loft had accumulated 29,000 flight hours throughout his flying career. Jeez. Which is insane. That's a lot. Yeah. His flight crew included First Officer Albert John Burt Stockhill, 39, and Flight Engineer Donald Lewis Don Repo, 51, both of whom had logged considerable hours in the L-1011 relative to the relative to it being a new addition to the fleet. Engineer Angelo Donadio? I don't know how to say his last name. A company employee was officially off-duty, but accompanied the crew. So, this plane was specifically new. They're not... I think there's only, like, one left in the world now. Um, it's a, a double-decker airplane. Oh. Pop so, off. Yeah. So, the top is, like, the cabins where the people are. Yeah. And the bottom is for the flight attendants. So, it has, like, the oh, kitchen. interesting. And there's also a lounge down there for them. That's kind of sick. And that's basically the only difference. I is had it a- because of this that they don't have them really anymore? It, they're just... I don't think so. Like, maybe expensive to make. They're really expensive. They, yeah. Gotcha. It makes sense. Uh, I wrote something down about that. Probably takes a lot of fuel, too, if it, it sounds huge, you know? Yeah. Probably super heavy. Yeah, so this says the L-1011 TriStar sales were hampered by two years of delays due to development and financial problems. Gotcha. Um, the sole manufacturer of the aircraft's engines was Rolls-Royce. So. T. Uh, between 1968 and 1984, Lockheed manufactured a total of 255 TriStars, assembled at the Lockheed, uh, Lockheed plant located in Palmdale Regional Airport. Um, after the L-1011 production ended, Lockheed withdrew from the commercial aircraft business due to its below-target sales. As of 2024, only one L-1011 is in service as the Stargazer. So, that's where that's at. These planes aren't a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting into the flight. There was nothing spectacular about the takeoff of the Eastern Airlines Flight 401 on December 29th, 1972 at 2120 Eastern Standard Time. So, it's like, nine? What did you, what did you say? I'm sorry. 2120. Y'all do the math on that. I can't For remember. For what? Yeah. <laughs> Military time. Everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're fine. Head empty. That is it's, really late at night. Yeah. It was It was dark. <laughs> um, everything went smoothly for almost the entire flight. Ahead of them virtually the whole day was National Airlines Flight 607, a DC-10, which suffered landing gear problems approaching Miami, perhaps a portent of what was to come. So, the landing gear was being kind of finicky. They're up in the okay. air. They're like, we need to land. So, they take the landing gear out. And on this plane, there are lights that'll tell you when the landing gear's out. Mm-hmm. So, they had two in the back and then one in the front. Mm-hmm. It was specific to this plane because it's so large. Yeah. The front wheel, the light wasn't on. So, they're like, that's weird. It must be the light. They took out the bulb. They, like, looked at it, inspected it. Still wasn't coming on. They took the landing gear out, put it back out again, in and out, in and out. And then eventually... Turn it off, turn it back on again. (laughs) Yeah. So they took the light out and, like, inspected it and put it back in. But they had put it back in sideways. So, like, 
Great. This is not going to work. So Captain Loft ordered the landing gear to be checked physically. Um, so under the cockpit, there's like, I forget what they call it. It's basically like the hole. Yes. Yeah. So you climb down a ladder and you there's this tiny little hole you can look out to see the landing gear. Oh, okay. So um, Captain Loft had ordered Don Repo um, to go down to the nose cone. Nose cone, that's what it's called, to check. And um, it's like the plane that does a droop snoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> it was too dark to see anything, though, because, like I said, it yeah. was 2,100 hours. That was 9 o'clock. Yeah. I okay. The, so I, I did, was right. I, was I like, did the math for huh? you while you were talking. Thank you. Thank you. So Don Repo went down into the hole. was like, it's too dark in here. They're still up in the cockpit trying to figure things out. They put the plane into um, pilot mode. Autopilot, that's what it's called. But when... Are we in the air? We're in air. Well, this I'm is sorry. happening. Yeah, we're in air. They took off. Everything's fine. Everything went smooth. What? Except for when they're trying to land. That's a big part, friends. Yes. So they're circling like the Florida Everglades at this point. For like ever? Forever. And so Loft was like, okay, I'm going to lean down look over to help. And so when people thought that when he got up to go check on repo down in the the nose that he had bumped one of the Ooh. the gears like yeah. the what is the word steering, steering? yeah he's like what is this <laughs> the steering he had bumped the steering and it knocked it out of autopilot oh and it's pitch black that's not good in the florida everglades yeah. so there's no landmarks no lights you can't tell what's going okay. on okay woof so where are we trying to go sorry they're trying to land in somewhere in florida it starts with an m miami yes miami all right (laughs) i'm sorry it's such a mess of an episode i'm so tired (laughs) at least we're in florida yes i'll give him that so they had knocked someone they don't know officially who it was but someone had knocked the plane out of autopilot no one realized bears. yeah no one realized they were losing altitude because it was so dark outside don't they like aren't there alerts for that yes but it only went off one time and it oh. was too quiet and no one was paying Is this attention one of those things where there are like so many things have been changed now because so of this so many things went wrong the so spoiler alert it crashes yeah i figured they <laughs> the original the like official report was human error the plane crashed due to human error. Because had someone been sitting in the chair paying attention, they would have heard the alarm. That's fair. But at the same time, like... They also put this, the light bulb back in the backwards. Light, okay, yeah, true. This was its first flight, by the way. So it's not like... But maybe we should have, like, workshopped this plane a little more before we did. flew it. They did. They tested everything. Yeah, like it should have more alarms at least. I feel like it should ring a you couple know? times, but like in what's it called with Tom Hanks, where it's yelling at him? Dude, I don't know. Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? No. It will. <laughs> the listeners know what I'm talking about. Yes, it's they that do. movie with Tom Hanks, and he's flying a commercial flight, and a bunch of birds flies into his engine. And they lose an engine, and he has to land in the Hudson. Is but that it's a yelling... real story? It's a real story, yeah. And I was like, wait. 
But it's, like, yelling at him that they're losing altitude. Yeah. For, like, a while. And they're like, can you pull up? And he's like, no. Because, you know. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't, but. I don't know. But, yeah, either way. Maybe th- that's why that happens now. Yeah, either way, things were put into place so it couldn't happen or, again. Or, like, what it doesn't do that until you reach a certain bad altitude where it's like, you really need to do something now. Mm-hmm. So maybe know. they're just not there yet. Maybe. Anyway. Either way. There Trying were, to give them the benefit of the There doubt. were four people in the cockpit. Someone could have been paying attention. <laughs> That's a lot more than I thought. Usually I thought it was like two or three. Because you have the captain, the co-captain, Don Repo, who's the engineer, and then the extra dude, the engineer that was there. I don't know why he was there. Um, Maybe because this plane wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah. So... The plane crashes before anyone realizes what's happening. Really? Yep. Because it's so dark, you can't see anything. How, so, okay, if you know this, Uh how fast did the crash happen from the point where, like, it was bumped to, like, impact? No one knows. No one knows? No, because um, everyone in the cockpit died except for the one dude who wasn't supposed to be there. T. The employee. Um, but because they were in the marshes, like, in the swampland, yeah. the crash wasn't as bad as it could have been. That's so one, squishy. Yeah, exactly. 101 people died. Woof. Some sources say it was only 99 people. Um, but 75 so people did survive. Which is quite That's a lot for decent. a plane crash. Yeah. Um, and luckily for survivors, help was on the way. Robert, Marquis, and Ray Dickinson were out fishing on a flyboat when they noticed the crash. That's hilarious. They immediately sprang into action, ferrying the survivors to safety because they were on a big fan boat. Um, Marcus received burns all over his body from the spilled jet fuel as he rescued people one by one until more help could arrive. What Um, a guy. Eight of the ten flight crew survived, while the cockpit crew only angelo survived Mm. after 30 minutes the coast guard finally came to help and before the sunrise the next morning they had already saved anyone that they could that's good but it was horrible on mr ball and i watched his video on this it's linked below um some people's clothes were burned off they were still like seat belted into their chairs oh that's so sad yeah Um, plane crashes are bad like horrific yeah well and like this one has jet fuel everywhere and no one saw it coming so hot and jet fuel so hot yeah and at the um i forget the word is at the airport or whatever they were like hey where'd you guys go you're quiet we can't hear you and that's like how the traffic control air traffic yeah they're like hey well where'd where you go bestie <laughs> no response and so that's when they sent someone out that's helicopters and they're like oh okay geez yeah so the official report concluded that it was a pilot error due to crash because that's a lot woof but the plane crashed to a point where there were some parts that were salvaged so they took these parts and put them into the other airplanes no don't do that it was a brand new plane bad juju at the very least yeah brand new plane it was expensive so they took the parts Moved them, put them in the other planes. And that's where this gets weird. Did we weird. inspect those? Yes. So they all worked fine. Okay. But were this they is, haunted? They were haunted. 
Yeah, so I'm going to share a couple stories. Um, Imagine having a haunted plane, being on a haunted plane. Terrifying. That's bad. The tin can in the sky. Uh-huh, and this is only months after it happened. Yeah. So I got this from cabincrewwings.com, link, link below. This one's called Disappearing Children. I worked for national airlines and mostly um, operated regional destinations. We mostly, mostly we used single aisle plane. There are only two galleys, the front galley and the back galley. The front galley is closed to cockpit, thus it has an installed CCTV for pilots and monitor activities around the cockpit store. After 9-11, not, uh, sorry, after 9-11, everything had to be installed for extra precaution. Mm-hmm. During a flight at cruising altitude, the captain asked, why are you letting two little kids play in front of the cockpit door? The crew replied there were no kids playing near the cockpit door, but captain instead insisted he could see them, a boy and a girl, playing in front of the door through the CCTV. Nope. When the plane touched down and the crew got to the hotel, the captain pulled away or pulled the senior crew member aside with his first officer. He asked if the crew really didn't see the two kids playing in front of the cockpit door. She maintained that they didn't and said that the galley is so small anyway, less than 10 meters long from port side to the standard door. She wouldn't have missed the two kids playing. Both pilots went blank and then said they have seen kids playing right besides both crew on the CCTV. No thanks. That one's one of the newer ones, but I'll get into it later. Uh, So this next one is Ghostly PAX. My friend told me that once he was working a red-eye flight from SFO to JFK, he remembers specifically greeting a man in his early 40s by the door, who was well-dressed and carrying a briefcase. The passenger sat at the back of the plane near the bathrooms. Before departure, the crew had counted 35 passengers aboard the flight. Since it was a red-eye flight, most passengers slept and everything went smooth as usual. Before landing, they recounted the passengers, only to come up with 34. They thought the passenger was in the bathroom and actually checked, but it was empty. They eventually realized the missing passenger was the man of a briefcase who was seated near the rear of the plane. D.B. Cooper. It was him. (laughs) (laughs) Every man with a briefcase. Yeah. A member of crew even recounted having a conversation with him about his wife and children. T. He vanished. That's so weird. Um, This next one is haunted aircraft. A haunted airplane sounds like the makings of a horror movie, Mm -hmm. but such few aircraft have been reported in real life. Lights that turn themselves off and on, unusual sounds, sudden temperature spikes, or airdrops. At my airline, we always have counted on aircraft 502 to have a mind of her own, said one stewardess. She does seem to behave for some people more than others, but lots of people have claimed to have seen her be quite temperamental. Christine doesn't bother me, but some avoid flying on her because of stories. A Boeing 737-8Q8 belonging to Sterling Airlines was also created, has also created quite a reputation for itself. Flight crew members and even the clearing crew don't go on this plane at night. There have been reports of footsteps being heard on the roof of the plane, even over 300,000 feet in the air. Mm. Or 30,000, not 300. Whoa, that would... (laughs) Out of the atmosphere. (laughs) It must have been very unsettling hearing footsteps above your head when you're flying over the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, no thanks. Apparently a woman died on board the plane, and it's believed that her spirit never departed. Ah... And this last one is noises from the cargo hold. There have been numerous reports of strange noises from the cargo hold with no apparent source. Banging, speaking, and tapping. This has been reported from crew on long-haul flights trying to grab some sleep in the crew bunks too. 
Our final tale comes from the Virgin Atlantic flight. The story goes that the member of the crew went to the galley where she found an elderly man looking slightly lost and confused. The man asked the flight attendant to pass along a message to a woman on board, telling her that he was okay. The flight attendant compelled with the man's request and shared the information with the passenger, who was confused for a moment. She then pulled out a photo from her wallet and asked the crew member if the man in question was the same one in the photo. When the crew member confirmed that it was, the woman said the man on board, um, in a sense, in a coffin in the large cargo hold. Yeah. Which happens, like, plain when yeah that's a i knew that was a common thing especially during the war in the middle east mm-hmm. like they would just try to get soldiers home as fast as possible that happens now i know it happens yeah. often but i knew especially then yeah so like when someone needs to be flown over like the country you take them on an airplane mm-hmm. so strange um but one specific story was also from the mr ballin video he tells it much better than i so listen to that after this uh it was right after the plane had crashed and they put the new part into the airplane the crew had counted like or whatever like did their head count and there was an extra person and they were like oh it must be someone who needs to take flight from here to there like part of the airline crew because he was dressed as a pilot captain dude oh okay and they're like oh okay whatever i'll just ask him his name so one of the stewardess like looks down at him is like what's your name just so we can get a head count like where are you from didn't talk to him at all so she's like that's weird she gets another flight attendant and she's like can you try like talking to this guy like i can't get information about him i don't know why he's here nothing so the plane eventually takes off and they're flying they're or like, whatever. All right. <laughs> yeah and then she goes up to the one of the flight attendants goes up to the cockpit and tells the pilot and is like hey we have someone here we don't know his name like what's about it so he gets down and, like, because the captain that they don't know is sitting in the chair, like, just sitting, chilling. The captain of the plane that's flying the plane currently comes out, looks at him, and he's like, what's your name? And he, like, gets down to his eye level so he can see his face under his cap. And the guy freaks out. He, like, falls back and he's like, that's, that's Captain Bob from the plane that just crashed a few months ago. <sighs> and the captain vanishes. Between, like, before everyone's eyes. And the plane... Man was just confused. No, the whole plane starts screaming because they all see this man disappear into thin air. Well, I'm saying the captain who showed up. He oh, was yeah. just confused. He's like, this ain't my flight. He's just trying to go home. Yeah, so it was... Cap- That's crazy. Because the captain... Like, everyone saw that. Yeah, because the captain of the plane who was flying currently... Yeah. Knew Bob. Yeah. Because this was only Pilot- months after the Pilots plane crashed. know each other. Yeah. And so he was like... Uh. Especially if they, like, fly the same airline. Yeah. That's crazy. And so the airline was like, don't tell people about this. You'll lose your job. Like, you can't be talking about <laughs> these things. That's lame. But then randomly... Was it spirit... <laughs> Well, yeah, because these stories were happening so often. Eventually, they took all the pl- the parts from the plane that had crashed out of every single plane without telling anyone why. Well, also, in the first place, I, like, you, I get reusing them. I understand, and, like, cost and everything. Mm-hmm. But, like, it feels disrespectful. Uh, and that's just because so many people lost their lives. Yeah. 
But I, I also understand needing to reuse them. I wouldn't reuse, yeah. like, the interior or anything like that. No. But, like, these huge, giant, expensive parts of the airplane, I'm like, okay. But I you have to wonder if that's why, like, the spirits were attached to them. Because it was, like... That's 100% dis- why. Like, disrespectful. Like, almost, dis- like, um, desecrating a grave, almost. You know what I mean? Or, like, a final kind resting of. place. I just feel like it was their final, like, you know, so they were attached to yeah. it. Yeah. But I once, just feel like stuff like that should be left alone. Yeah. Well, once it was taken out, everything stopped. Yeah. Which was weird. Yeah. And they never, the airline never said anything about it, never explained why they took these parts out of the planes. They just did. Well, we all know why. Well, yeah, we know why, but. <laughs> that's so weird. Yeah. That's all I, I actually have hadn't you. heard of that one, I don't think. It was a TV show, I think. There's a documentary, and there was a book. I was going to buy the book, but it was like $70 on Amazon. Wow. And I was like, no, thank you. It's a really expensive book. Yeah, I was like, wow. Uh-uh. Is it made of leather? What is going on? It has to be made, made of human skin. I'm like, something like that. Huh? Anyway. Well, thank you, Emily. Yeah. Good fun times. Hope none of you guys are flying anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for listening. Remember to rate, comment, review, subscribe wherever you listen. And follow us on Instagram at Chronic Pain and Paranoia. We post things sometimes. And come back next week for more spooky good times. Yeah. Plug in your heating pads. Take your meds. And stay spooky. Stay spooky. Goodbye. Goodbye.